Well, if you've got your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to uh, Joel chapter 3. And we'll be finishing up the book this evening with Joel chapter 3. And the words to which I'll call your attention are verses 16 through 21. Or if you're in the Hebrew Bible, the end of chapter 4. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and valley, uh, water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, for the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion." The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall abide forever. Let's pray. Lord Most High, we humble ourselves before you this evening, asking in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would condescend in the person of your Spirit and bless us with knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. For knowledge is better than silver, and understanding is better than choice gold, and all that we may desire cannot compare with them. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder, as, I've, as I'm reading the end of, uh, of, of Joel here, I was trying to think, I, I wonder what is the most the most terrified I've ever been in my life. And I can think of some moments here and there where there's been legitimate fear. Uh, one moment I think was in April of 2011 when we had our children in the bathtub with helmets on. And you might remember that it was April 24th, I think. And dozens of tornadoes tore through, I think North Mississippi probably, but also hit Tuscaloosa and shredded the campus. And so we were, had the kids in the bathroom. The other moment I thought of is when Michelle and I were at Food Lion shopping. And it wasn't anything on the shelves. But my children called and they said, um, they said, Dad, somebody is on the patio taking, what? I, I was at Food Lion. It was Wednesday. I was getting food. This is not interactive. Interactive. 
Um, my children called. It probably was my wife who called and said, somebody is on the patio stealing the plants. Okay, so I wasn't worried about the plants. I was worried about what was beyond the patio. And so I remember I'm driving 90 miles per hour down this two-lane road on the phone with the police trying to get to my children. Those were some terrifying moments. As we get to the end of Joel, verse 16 just sort of resonates here. Because we remember here at the end as Joel envisions for us the end of all things, that thoughts of God should fill us with a mixture of emotions between hope and joy and terror. He gives us a sense of security. Our sense of security in the Lord is in part because He is a holy terror to all of His enemies. And as you think about the end of Revelation where the Lord appears and what do the enemies of God do? They cry out for rocks to fall on them. They want to die so that they will not have to face Him. If His enemies are our enemies, then we may feel secure. But if we are friends of the enemies of God, then we should feel terrified. I can't help but think about Israel if you turn just quickly in your Bible over to Exodus chapter 20 or you can listen to me read it. Exodus 20. Remember this morning we were thinking about the angels ascending and descending, ascending and descending the, um, the stairway to heaven. Moses did the same thing in Exodus 19. He's going up and speaking for Israel to God and then coming down and speaking for God to Israel. And then he's given them the Ten Commandments in 20. And then just verses 22, I'm sorry, yeah, the end of 19. Verse 21, Exodus 19, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people that cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down. And come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, and he delivered the law. Now skip over to verse 18 of chapter 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So you see, there was an appropriateness in, in the sense of the people being driven to obeying the Lord and understanding the fearfulness of who God is. And remember, the writer to the Hebrews said what? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
So as we get to this point at the end of all things, I want you just to notice one thing. As, as you think about the journey we've taken from Hosea to Joel, where have we gone? In these two books, we have gone from the exile of the northern kingdom of Israel all the way to Revelation in these two books. This is the journey that God has taken us on between Hosea and Joel. And so now let's consider the end of all things in a couple of points. The final judgment is a terror to the nations. And the final judgment results in the transformation of God's creation. The final judgment is a terror to the nations. And the final judgment results in the transformation of God's creation. First of all, notice with me in verse 16 that the final judgment is a terror to the nations. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem in the heavens and the earthquake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that the image God chooses to convey to us of himself right here is that of a lion? A lion roaring on the top of a mountain. Now, as it is, a lion's roar can, has been recorded as about 114 decibels, which would compare to going to a live rock concert. So a lion on the top of a mountain, if he roars, you can hear him up to five miles away, 25,000 feet. That's pretty impressive. If you go to the zoo, and the zoo has lions, especially young lions that are rowdy and rambunction and haven't been um, changed, <laughs> they are aggressive and violent. And this is the image that God chooses to depict himself here in, in Joel chapter 3, verse 16. I can't help but think of, when I get to this passage, the, the lion and the witch in the wardrobe. You probably know what I'm going to quote here. And there's Lucy Pevensey. Little Lucy, the youngest of the Pevensey children. And she's talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And they're going to take the children to meet Aslan, the lion. And this is the conversation there. Lucy says, is he quite safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. I only do the voices for my children, by the way. He does have a British accent. Safe said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. What C.S. Lewis is conveying to us as we have thoughts of who God is, he's saying Christ is not safe. He's not docile. 
He's not a grandpa whose knee you go and sit on. He's a lion. His image is that of a fearsome beast who will tear his enemies to pieces. In part, this connects us. Notice if we move over to the next page in Amos chapter 1, this connects Joel and Amos. This, uh, Danny was praying from Amos just now. The, the, the thread, this is the hole that the thread runs through. Notice Amos chapter 1 verse 2. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. Get this picture in your mind, he's saying. So as we think about the nativity of Christ, it can give us sort of a false image, can't it? We can think of him as an all-how-cute baby in the manger rather than a terrifying warrior king. The roar here of God signals the beginning of the judgment of the nations. In Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 30 to 31, we read this. You, therefore, shall prophesy against them all these words and say to them, The Lord will roar from on high, and from his holy habitation utter his voice. He will roar mightily against his fold and shout like those who tread grapes. There's that imagery of of the enemies of God in in the winepress and Christ's feet treading out the wine. For the Lord has, I'm sorry, the clamor will resound to the ends of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh, and the wicked he will put to the sword, declares to the Lord. Make no mistake, when Christ appears on the horizon, it will be a a day, yes, of joy and of terror. In this moment, notice what it says, verse 16 again. The heavens and the earth quake. What does that mean? Not just creation. But what's happening there is God is calling into judgment earthly kings and heavenly princes. Satan and his army and all of those who rule upon the earth and who are the enemies of God will be brought to an account. As you skip down to verse 19, we get an image of this day. He says, Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. Egypt, the enslavers of Israel, the ones who are the perpetual enemies of God's people will be brought to an account. Edom, that is the descendants of Esau, the the ones who, who laughed as Israel were carried into captivity will be called to an account. Now, Egypt will be a desolation. And Edom will be a wilderness as God strikes down the enemies of his people. But notice that for those who belong to God through Christ, he is a refuge. The image of this verse is of God 
with one hand covering his people while with the other he strikes down his enemies with the edge of the sword. And we remember in heaven there are no participation trophies. There will be no, Timmy, I'm so proud of you for trying. In heaven, our comfort is this, that Christ offered his own flesh to the jaws of the lion in our place. He suffered the brutality of God's animosity and hatred against sin for us. Now, he is the lion on behalf of his people. So the second thing that we notice then is not just is the day of judgment a day of terror for God's enemies. Secondly, the day of judgment results in transformation of God's creation. This is, this is the warm part of this passage, verses 17 and 18. Notice two things. There, there will be the transformation of God's people and a transformation of God's creation. A transformation of God's people and a transformation of all creation. Verse 17, so you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. The picture here is that the same mountain from which God roared is the mountain upon which God will gather with his people and we will know him. And that, that means two things. One, there will be a blessed intimacy with him. We will know the abundant life that flows in the veins of Jesus Christ. In that day, we will be glorified and made like him, and his life will be fully our life in that day. You taste of it in the here and now. You have been given a taste of the life to come because the Spirit dwells in you now. But in that day, in that day, you will know him fully. Your mind will no longer be clouded with fuzzy images of who God is and misinterpretations of the Bible. Every passage you read, you will understand clearly and everything that he speaks to you in that day will resonate in your heart and soul and it will not be mixed with any error. And he will make you holy. All Jerusalem will be holy. The whole city. Can you imagine? The whole city. All of your friends. All of your companions. Your neighbor will be holy. They won't throw their litter down in the street. You're not going to have to walk up and down uh, the road picking up litter. Anymore. Everybody will be holy. Everybody will love his neighbor. Everybody will love the Lord. Everybody will clamor to go to the Lord's worship, to gather in the synagogue, to gather in the house of the Lord, to lift their praises. There's not going to be a curmudgeon on the back rows as I ain't singing. Everyone will be holy. Not only that, beloved, God's going to transform the whole creation. Verse 18. And in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. I read there that whether you're a teetotaler or not, there's going to be something for you, okay? Wine and water. 
What is God saying to us there? Mountains will drip with wine. In other words, the new creation will bear likenesses to the creation of now. There will be mountains. But in some way, it will be totally transformed from what we know now because those mountains, the waterfalls that run down them will be filled with wine so you can take your cup and fill them. You don't press the grapes down yourself, beloved. God gives you the wine. The water in the stream bed, you don't have to drink through a survival straw. And this last strange image. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. That, that may not come immediately to mind what that is. So let me ask you to turn over with me to Numbers chapter 25. You don't have to hold your place. Just jump over to Numbers 25. Leading up to this moment, Numbers 22 to 24, you might remember the name Balaam because not only in Sunday school did you learn about Jacob's ladder, you also learned about Balaam's donkey. That's a great illustration. This is the end of that. Balaam's dismissed. I I cannot curse Israel, he says, uh, God cannot lie. He's not a man. That, is God a man that he should lie? No. And, and everything looks like Balaam is a decent guy unless you read the rest of the Bible. Let's look at Numbers 25.1. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord. There's the lion. That the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And this became such, such a legendary sin in the life of Israel that it's mentioned over and over and over again. In Micah 6.5, we read about it. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, we read this. Even in the New Testament, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. And again, in Jude chapter uh, verse 11, we read a similar thing. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion, a separate sin. So you see that this, what happened in the valley of Shittim, this awful, awful, legendary sin where Israel is, they are literally on the boundary of Canaan. 
It was from Shittim that Joshua would select the ten, uh, or Joshua would select the spies who went and visited with Rahab. It was at this location. It was a legendary place. Joel says that it's in this place where the water will come out from the temple and it's going to be clean. How do we take this? The stream which flows from the temple is going to cleanse away their sin. And in the valley of Shittim, it means even the grossest sin, the most legendary of sins of those who belong to God will be finally, totally purged away by the water which flows from Jesus Christ. You know what that means? No one is going to walk around in shame. No one is going to walk around saying, I don't belong to be here. Because everyone is going to exult in what Jesus Christ has done and say, He has cleansed my sins away, all, even the very worst of them. The water of Christ, which He offered to the woman at the well, is going to cleanse every sin away. The Spirit which is poured down from heaven will totally fill every one of us, leading us into holiness. As we think about the last days, what thoughts should fill our minds? Well, one, it's going to be a day of total terror. We read in places like Psalm chapter 11 that the the soul of the Lord hates the wicked. And that hatred is going to be manifested in a terrorizing way when we hear His voice lifted up from Mount Zion with a roar that reaches decibels that you've only heard at a Motley Crue concert. But with His free hand, with the hand that isn't clutching His sword, He's going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. So that as Psalm 91 says, you will only see this judgment. And the next thing you know, the mountains are going to drip wine and the hills are going to flow with milk, whole milk, not skim, probably cream, And the streams will flow with water and every sin will be cleansed away by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good thing. Praise God for giving us this great hope. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven, I think as we meditate on this wonderful passage of Scripture, we go away with two requests. Fill our hearts with a proper fear of who you are. Nadab and Abihu, they did not reverence you. And you killed them by a flame that came forth from your altar. And you reminded 
Aaron through Moses, by all who come near me, I will be regarded as holy. And we flip over to the end of Hebrews chapter 12 where we read that our God is a consuming fire, therefore we must come with reverence and awe. Lord, let us never lose that sense of reverence and awe for who you are. You are our maker, our creator, the one who holds all life in your hands, every single life, every individual life, from the gnat to the Nero. And also, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with a sense of longing. A longing for the day when the mountains we see here will drip with, with wine, where your, your creation will have an, a, the abundance that was intended for it. Eden will be fully restored and we will be tenders of that garden once again. And we will gather with a people who all exist in the likeness of Jesus Christ, who all serve one another with love and patience and tenderness, where we're all fully endowed with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would fill us, Father, with holy fear and holy anticipation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.